Hello listeners and welcome to the Monte Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. Amid soaring energy prices, politicians across Europe face mounting pressure to intervene in order to shield industry and households from such high price levels. But some measures have been labelled as totally inadequate. What are the current proposals on the table and what will their impact be? Is the market broken? And if so, how can it be fixed? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to discuss these issues and hopefully much, much more is Anna Stanich of EA Law. A warm welcome to you, Anna, and welcome back to the pod. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me back. When we're looking at the policy side of things, I'd like to start off by asking my guests about the market and if it is actually broken. Um, um, Anna, is there a problem that needs solving here? Is it actually? Uh, what needs fixing? Well, I mean, I think there's two things. One is what is the role of the market? Um, and as you say, is the market broken? And then the separate thing is are the, what is the impact of the, the actual market signals and the prices being so high? Um, so I think the first question is, I think the market is working because the market is signaling to the fact that there is a scarcity of gas in the market. Um, as a result of the war in the Ukraine and the response subsequently taken to that by the EU and other countries such as the US and the UK in response to the war by introduction of sanctions and the further escalation of the conflict uh, between on one side now the EU and, and effectively Russia on the other. Um, the scarcity in the market has been uh, has been clear for a while now, as as we recall from the um, the last podcast that you and I did in April. We discussed the fact that the European Commission back in on the eighth of March had announced that we were going to reduce our consumption of Russian gas in the EU by sixty six percent by two thirds by the end of this year. At the time, we discussed how that difficult that would be and what implications it would have for prices. What has happened since then is exactly that, not to the same amounts, but to a large extent, there's been a reduction in, in the arrival of Russian gas. Each side blames the other as to what, what is the cause and who is to blame. And there will be obviously significant legal cases that will be that have already started in in response to the um, the reductions in flows of gas, um, and of course we've had the sabotage of the Nord Stream two pipelines and the Nord Stream one pipelines um, since since all of this has started. So the, the fact, the reality in the market is that there is scarcity of gas. Um, the EU we have been lucky to be able to get an, an additional fifty BCM of gas from by way of LNG, but that has simply not been enough to address the fact that we know that by February of next year, we are short at least of 30 BCM of gas, which given that the European consumption of gas is one BCM a day, that means 30 days without gas. I mean, if just to understand the implications of it. And that's the minimum amount of gas that's missing. And that's not just gas that we would be able to buy somewhere else. That's just gas that is not available at all. So it's it's that is that is the reality that the market is 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 addressing. And so the, I think the market has 
and, and obviously in the lead up and the high prices that we saw, I mean, the prices have come down significantly since August when they were at the height, when there was concern about storage not being able to be filled. And that really drew, I mean, led to the high prices. It has come down since then as storages have been filled, but they have been filled as a result of the fact that we have been prepared to pay high prices in order to secure that that gas comes to Europe as opposed to go elsewhere. So I think the market has played its role. The fact of the matter is, is that those prices are simply rendering our industry completely uncompetitive. Um, And therefore there has been a a total, I mean, there's been a reduction, a significant reduction in in industrial um, use of energy. And in fact, there's been shutting down of industry. It, depending on the country in the EU, we're talking about between 15 to 30 percent reduction in industry. And that's obviously a significant um, employer. Um, and obviously, it's a significant way of actually obtaining goods. So we have a significant impact on our economy, not just from the point of view of inflation, which is what everybody talks about, but in terms of competitiveness and the future supply of goods. Mm. So before we go into questions around market intervention and and policy on the eu level anna what what is the solution here where do we get this 30 bcm from um and if we can't get hold of that from you know increased lng or flows to norway or whatever uh, what's what what are the consequences of that well that's the that's the whole um issue um so that the way we get to the 30 bcm as a calculation in terms of the shortfall is already based on on a calculation of an expectation that we would still be able to secure the additional 50 bcm of new lng that we got this year um so that is already a, a, a large assumption because that was already lng cargoes that were diverted from elsewhere we expect that about 20, between 20 and most likely 40 BCM of new LNG uh, supplies will come on the market next year. And, and we assume that we would be able to secure, obviously, if we are prepared to pay market price for it, about 20% of that. Uh, sorry, 20, uh, so half of that, 20 BCM. Now, if those are the calculations and we assume that we don't have a particularly cold winter, we still have nowhere to get the 30 BCM. So it's just simply not in the market. There is just a gap in the, in the, between the supply and demand that's been calculated actually by the IOGP and others that sort of simply confirm that there is simply not enough supply in the world market between now and 2027. Basically, the gap remains, what's the word, unfulfilled or un. un not unfilled, no. So basically, it means unfilled. It's it's really important to understand that it's not just that we. It's a question of what price. It's it doesn't matter what price there is. It's simply not there. So unless the Russian mar- gas comes back on the market, there is nowhere for that gas to come from. What does that mean? That means that either we or elsewhere in the world there has to be a reduction in demand for gas. And when we've calculated that 30, 30 BCM gap, we have already assumed that the, the 12 to 15% reduction in the gas demand that has been, let's say, voluntarily happened this year as a result of the regulation that the 
was adopted on the 5th of August 2022, where there was a, an agreed voluntary reduction of at least 15% in demand for gas in Europe, that that reduction would it remain in place. So we're talking about a further reduction really in demand. And, and that really, then really talking about a demand destruction, uh, because we're talking about an extended period of time where industry and, and potentially more broadly in the economy is simply not able to, to, to use gas as their energy in, in their, as an energy input. And it's very difficult to see that the quantities of anything else in the market being available to step in. Mm. But if, if we talk about market intervention and on the policy side, more, more regulation um, here, Anna, you know, recently the, the European Commission has proposed a, a price cap for gas. What, what's your view of this? This was set at um, 275 euros a megawatt hour. Um, it, it hasn't been well received by many in the market. What, what's your view? Well, I mean, I think the the key thing has has been proposal. I think it's fair to say that the proposal of a two hundred seventy five um, a cap of two hundred seventy five per megawatt hour, and that it would have to be would have to be the TTF would have to exceed this cap for two consecutive weeks, and then be fifty eight euros higher than than the LNG for 10 consecutive days. I think the reality is that, that that kind of a price was never reached at this point in time, even at the all-time high prices in August. So a number of countries have described the proposal of the Commission uh, to be a joke. But on the other hand, I think it's also fair to say that any attempt to try to to actually impose a price cap is is most likely going to have a, uh, the opposite effect in the sense that it'll simply mean that that the gas will that the amount of gas we have so far been able to secure by being prepared to pay high prices will simply not flow to 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 the EU and um, there's a position being taken by certain member countries and in the EU. I don't think it's very much shared by the European Commission, at least in terms of DG Energy, that countries such as Norway and and Russia and and Algeria and and ones that are supplying the EU by piped gas, that they would simply will not have another option but to supply us with gas at prices that we are prepared to pay. I think just recently, Norwegians had made it very clear that um, that they simply won't agree to any price cap, and that any attempt to 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 set a cap will be considered a breach of the contracts that are in place and would trigger um, uh, basically litigation. And that they as as and they have made clear that as Norway as a state, they have no authority in any event to negotiate any price caps or agree to any price caps, as this is a matter that is regulated and and governed by private contracts between energy companies. And and I think that is correct. And the same indication has actually, in fact, been given by US LNG providers that have simply said that they will simply not supply any gas um, if there's any attempt to cap the price. The the price that 275 euros is 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 incredibly high and you know like you say some countries have called it a joke it wouldn't have any surely any effect on flows coming to europe but it's because it's set that that high 
Well, I think that presumably the the idea of the commission is that it is that it happens in such rare circumstances, and in any event, they had made it clear that it doesn't apply to over count over the counter contracts, nor to to the derivatives market, because they know that it would have a domino effect if if a price cap was to be introduced. So I think it was sort of well, I mean, I, I assumed that they were proposing it for the sake of making a proposal, but hoping that it would never be triggered given the impact that it would potentially have that would actually be negative. I mean, I think the the key uh, surprising things about all of this is I think uh, given the set of circumstances in which uh, which industry finds itself in and 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 the fact that the politicians are of the view that something needs to be done to help industry, which i I fully agree needs needs to be done. The question is why are not why has not a proposal been done in terms of subsidizing the prices that uh, industry and others pay? and uh, and I un- fully understand that most member states are not in the in the in the position that Germany is in, who which basically said that they were prepared to uh, effectively subsidize their their industry and their consumers in the you know in you know basically they were t- talking about getting state aid approved of two hundred billion to do so. Now most member states in the EU do not have um, the coffers uh, deep enough to be able to do anything like that and go on the market and. And fund such a such an intervention into their markets. But what should have been discussed, and what I'm surprised has not been discussed, is some sort of a Europe EU bond, or some sort of a mechanism similar to the one that was introduced as part of the EU Green Package during COVID, the 750 billion sort of support that is effectively managed at the EU level and the funding is raised at the EU level and then effectively pays to and helps um, uh, member states to actually fund fund the subsidies to to their own industry and so on. And I, I would have thought that that would have been a way in which market would be able to continue to operate. We would be able to secure gas from abroad and 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 yet at the same time help um help industry um maybe and not tinker with the market i presume um well well exactly not tinker with it in that respect and also be able to trust the market that the market is addressing an issue of scarcity and i think we do need to explore how we are going to address this issue of of scarcity um um and 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 obviously the the longer the war goes on the more difficult these issues becomes because 30 bcm is really the the most conservative estimate of how much gas is missing it you know depending on the calculations and depending on how cold the winter is whether the flows of russian gas stop through entirely through ukraine and so on then 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 we're talking we could be seeing much larger figures which become extremely difficult uh, for for the European Union's economies to to actually survive, and we we know even by mid of next year. Mm. Um, Anna, but if if you know this proposal, or wh- while it's been on the table, seems to have split the EU. And I know that some member states, for example, Spain, Italy, France, have been very clearly pushing for a price gap for for gas. Um, they've even wanted to sort of decouple even uh, gas from power, whereas others are very wary 
of introducing uh, such a, a interventionist move. Um, has it split the EU here, the member states? And, and could there be a, a compromise, do you think, reached on the 13th of December when EU energy ministers are due to meet? This is the interesting thing. I mean, I, I I thought that there might be some attempt to seek a compromise by, you know, adopting the so-called Spanish or the Iberian proposal of whereby uh, prices of, of gas used in power capped. But again, those, the actual difference between the prices is something that the actual, it's actually Spain and Portugal are themselves subsidizing. And I think the feeling is that other member states, particularly Central and Eastern Europe states, remember, they simply do not have the money that it would cost for them to subsidize any of this. And I think that's where the difficulty is. And I think the key issue is that this concept of solidarity that has been called for at this point in time is, is effectively limited to the fact that everybody is solidar- so in, a, in a, a way of solidarity paying high prices altogether where there doesn't seem to be any solidarity really in terms of actually burden, where, uh, you know, bearing the burden of those high prices. And I think that is where, that is where the, the, the EU is now fraying, fraying at the seams because, as I say, the best and the most logical way to do that would be by way of some sort of a bond. But that discussion is simply not even at the table. And it's interesting that it is not even being proposed by the Central and Eastern European countries themselves that seem to see um, a price cap as some sort of a solution, even though it is quite clear to everyone who knows about the energy market that it would open an incredibly complex Pandora's box and 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 even expose their own incumbents to potential claims, especially if um, if price cap attempts to cap the price was simply not accepted by the suppliers, that would actually put their incumbents in incredible danger in terms of insolvency. So that you know the kind of situations that we're looking you know that we saw with Uniper, we could see that we could see that happen across the board, and we've seen the cost that Uniper has actually been to the German government at this point. Mm. So you think there's a risk of contagion? That's very interesting. But if I can move to you mentioned earlier the threat of litigation, Anna. Now, do you expect legal challenges to any of the sort of current market interventions that are on the table at the EU level? Yes, I, I do. I do expect it to be challenges also already to the things that have already been adopted. So, for example, we have had the council regulation of the 6th of October on the emergency intervention to address high energy prices, which has introduced the windfall tax for example, the the tax that has been introduced on intermarginal suppliers, and and I I suspect there will be challenges when those measures are adopted. I mean, there's already issues by uh, that have been raised in a number of countries, including Romania and elsewhere, that have introduced uh, even more stricter. Uh, um, you know, calculations and in rules for with calculations of windfall tax then is in the regulation itself. But I suspect that there will be challenges not just on the in the courts of member states, but also at the EU level. And I suspect that there will be challenges also but in, in arbitration. I was just wondering if there's something that companies can challenge. I mean, is there a justification for these challenges? For any potential challenges, sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, there, there, there are obviously a windfall tax can be challenged 
on on many different grounds. Uh, it can be challenged on the basis that it international level, I mean, in terms of breaches of the Energy Charter Treaty, it could be challenged on the basis that it is amounts to an indirect expropriation. It could be challenged as a breach of legitimate expectation. At the national level, taxes and windfall taxes can also be challenged as an expropriation. It has to be established in a, by a court of law that the windfall tax is proportionate based on due price. I mean, there are, there are criteria in which measures can be taken and it would have to be shown that these measures fit fit the requirements of, of due process and, and, and rule of law. But maybe one other point to make there is that a lot of a number you know numerous member states, particularly again in Central and Eastern Europe, have argued that although these windfall taxes and that have been imposed in the actual base for calculating the contribution that would apply to renewable energy suppliers as well as everybody else is 33%, which seems very high and would suggest that there would be a huge amount of money that would you know, arrive in the coffers of member states. But the reality is, is that many of those member states, again, I say in Central and Eastern Europe particularly, are saying that they actually expect the process of collecting that money to be extremely difficult and extremely complex, challenged in court. And they expect that actually they won't get very much money from it in the end um, because of the fact that where the price is set and and where the prices are in terms of the the generation costs of the various uh, intermarginal supplies that are being are going to be taxed. So the question is whether it will bring any money at all in any event. Obviously, the idea was that the windfall tax and the money uh, generated from the windfall tax would then be used to actually help consumers and businesses pay for the high prices, and that was the that was the idea of it. And you know, the idea was that that would be sufficient way of dealing with the issue that there would not then be a need to introduce uh, uh, price caps of another of another nature but that is not what's happening what has helped i mean how how have they been successful in challenging eu rules in the, in the past and is there something they can learn from the companies now can learn from from previous sort of legal cases well at this point in time that these kind of measures and this is the first time that we have windfall tax and other measures being introduced at the eu level in in this in this way certainly in terms of managing energy prices so there's nothing directly relevant and and cases that have had reason in the past but but these we are you know the arguments will be based on on basic principles of of law that that will be invoked and and they will be brought both the as i say at the in the courts of the eu member states in at the eu level and 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 then in arbitrations um uh before, for example, the Energy Charter Treaty or in, or bilateral investment treaties, it may well be that uh, some, uh, you know, I would see that, and and I mean, there may well be a, a possibility of challenging uh, these measures at the WTO level, uh, depending on which measure we're looking at in terms of uh, those would challenges would be brought by a state against. EU or another member state. It's in terms of the, the windfall taxes and inframarginals revenue caps on, on, on cheaper power producers, those that are, you know, the nuclear, the hydro, the wind producers. Um, you know, I, 
you can see the logic in in a way, can't you? The policymakers are trying to balance out the winners and the losers, uh, and the losers being mainly the households and the industry are paying extremely high prices, and some are very much on the winning side, gaining enormous profits. But if I can, if I understand you correctly, Anna, you're saying that this is just a, a Pandora's box. There's a myriad of complexities, and in the end gathering in the money from these kind of power producers is going to be very problematic and also could open uh, you know a whole you know to mix another method of kind of worms in terms of litigation and legal challenges well i mean there's no doubt that 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 it will open um it will lead to litigation and, and legal challenges it will also lead to you know bilateral pri- you know disputes between private entities that have contracts for that have a different pricing structure in them. Uh, I mean, I think the the thought of the approach of the commission by imposing a, a cap on electricity prices and 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 being reluctant to do so for gas was a recognition, I think, rightly that the two types of markets are different. Um, and simply in terms of also, um, you know, how electricity. Is, is delivered um and um but I, I think the, the the key question really is to see does any will any of this actually solve the fundamental problem that we have uh, and the fundamental that problem that we have at least in terms of gas is that we simply will not have enough gas and so the scarcity issue simply doesn't go away with any of these measures which means that we we will be so the question then is, if it doesn't address that, do these measures, in particular the price cap on gas, will it actually exacerbate further the difficulty we will have in terms of, of the gas situation by actually preventing gas from flowing into the European market um, and, 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 and therefore actually exacerbating the security of supply situation even further? And so these are sort of two separate things to look at. One is... How do we address the scarcity um, and how long, you know, what measures should be taken to try to bring uh, the war in Ukraine and efforts to bring the war to an end? Um, how can that be done? Or are there any other ways in which we can deal with the scarcity in the meantime and whether measures that we take will actually exacerbate the problem rather than solve it. Absolutely. And some of these interventions have actually, rather than reduced demand, have actually increased it. So that's that's another element that uh, needs to be um, put into perspective here. Um, Anna, that's all we have time for today. As always, a pleasure having you on the pod and, and look forward to inviting you again. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much for being a guest on the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.